Hello, welcome to Pardon the Sound podcast. Today I have Tim Andrews on. He was the front man for a band called Arrows at Dawn that played around the Minneapolis music scene and in St. Paul. Him and I grew up together. Um, this was a fun interview for me. We discussed his whole experience through music when it started in 2009 all the way up to 2017 to now even how music is in his home with his family. Um, the interview starts at his humble beginnings of learning songs by ear in his bedroom um, from Nirvana Records and Green Day Records, and it spans from performing and playing in bands with me when we were kids to, you know, recording records at Pachyderm where Nirvana worked. Um, and it's just a great story, um, a fun conversation, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Let's go! I mean, um, you know, like, uh, Green Day and Nirvana were my two big, like, I learned a lot of Nirvana. Nirvana was a lot easier to digest. And Blink-182. Interesting. Those three, like, I love the Enema of the State record, mm-hmm. obviously. Right, Never we mind. all did. Yeah. Never mind is fantastic. And then American Idiot. And then from there, you kind of go back to all the Green Day, which is easy after that. Yep. And I always wanted to get to be able to do that with Foo Fighters, but they were a little harder. They had two guitar players, and they weave their parts really well. Mm-hmm. You and I started a cover band where yep. I think I think we did some cool stuff in a town of twelve hundred or less people. Yeah, we were out there hustling the <laughs> Blooming Prairie. Um, I wouldn't say airwaves, but I guess trying to take up people's attention for you know honestly. Of time. I still think like we're really lucky because you talked about me being an athlete. I, it's not like I was a quarterback, dude. I, I've never thought of my, like, I'm not like a popular guy where I come from. Right. But I'm not like an unpopular guy. Like I, I, I have a group of friends and we rented out like the servicemen's club and you would bring everybody. Mm-hmm. And I would just be like, fuck yeah, Kyle. I don't even think I would credit that. I think that would I would credit that to you, Justin Tyler, and I. And honestly, I've looked back on this. Mm -hmm. So we were young kids playing cover songs, doing music, Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes I always felt very excluded from things in school because I didn't party, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. But I look back on that. So we rented out the servicemen's club or like our VFW, whatever we're calling it. Yeah. Um, and we played a show there and like all the kids in town showed up and watched it and we were not, <laughs> we were not ready. <laughs> we were not ready for that sort of attention. Yeah. But they all showed up. Yeah. And what I credit it to is I think we, and I don't know how you feel about it. I look back on it and I'm like, wow, we had a lot of good kids who yeah. wanted to support other kids. We were music. really lucky. And I, I think, honestly, I think a lot of it was because that didn't fucking happen there. It, it was didn't. It was such a small town, but the, it was just a really unique situation. I think we just grew up in a community of kids who were supportive. I'm so that. glad that this came up because I was talking about this with Mike today. And, like, 
good buddy Mike that you grew up with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was saying, he's like, do you ever think back to like that moment when we did that? Because he came up and played with us a couple times. Yep. And uh, I just like, honestly, from the day I joined your group to even today, well, not today, but to my last show, which was right now, about two and a half years ago, yep. I haven't fucking done a thing in two and a half years. And for since I was 17 or 18 when I joined your group, yep. that was all I did. And to not do that now is fucking crazy, but I never enjoyed it in the moment. Right. Everything was look ahead. What can we do better? What can we do bigger and build upon what we just did? So mm-hmm. I kind of enjoyed that night. But it was always like on to the next one, like like the Patriots I, way, Kyle. <laughs> We're on to Cincinnati. All right, right. You know? Thank God we never went to Cincinnati. Yeah, I'm okay with skipping Cincy. Speaking of Mike, you guys kind of started a, I think slightly ahead of its time, um, project in a sense. And I know you're probably thinking this is strange. You guys did a group called Losing Fight where you kind of wrote music together. Yeah. But you were living in Blooming Prairie. Otana area yep. of Minnesota, and he was living in Fairmont. Where was he at again? Tallahassee. Or, he was in Tallahassee. You guys were emailing tracks back and forth. Yeah, in parts of tracks. Like it was a lot of work, and I was super lucky because Mike did all the heavy lifting. He did the drums, he did the bass, he wrote his songs, and then he played on my songs too. Right. And like from my point of view, he was more than capable because he had made two or three records by himself. Mm-hmm. He's a great musician. He fucking plays everything really fucking well. Right. He is. And I've heard this. Yeah. 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 I mean, by all accounts, he was. That's the kind of musician I wanted to be is a jack of all trades. And, and this is a kid I've known since kindergarten. And like, honestly, I was the best man in his first wedding and he was the best man in my wedding. We've known each other forever. forever, and we've done a lot of dumb shit together. We're like best friends, mm-hmm. you know? He taught me how to do that, and I wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for him. I think what's interesting about it is you guys being so far away, you'd have a song idea, you send it to him. Yep. He's throwing his piece in there, yep. maybe some other stuff. He sends you an idea, you kind of throw something you like, and you're building songs from across the country. Yep. and Maybe like it must have been like 2008, 2009. Yeah, right around there. Probably 07, 08 would be my guess. Right. And you guys have this little group called Losing Fight where you're putting that stuff together. And then you guys threw a show in Faramont and you played to a decent amount of people from what I can remember. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, like I, I said, I grew up there for about six years. And like, honestly, if I feel like if I would have stayed in Faramont, I would have been a pretty popular kid i knew everybody and and i had an older brother that people knew there in blooming he he didn't come with us like he's older so he went to he went back to sioux falls where we grew up Mm -hmm. or where i was born and he grew up and i came to blooming by myself so all the friends i made they didn't even really know that i had an older brother right and um it was yeah so when we went back to fairmont for me and for Mike, because Mike had been away from there for a few years. It was like a big reunion. We invited all our old friends. Yeah. And they fucking came out. And, and it it's was, 
amazing. Another example of a supportive environment for young musicians. And then from there, it's interesting because you kind of did a little thing in Iowa where you played covers with yeah, some. Yeah, that was we. We only had one show that I played with. Okay, but, but you was, were traveling a, big a lot show, for though. that. Yeah, we. I was going with Pat's stepmom down to Cresco, Iowa, to rehearse, and the guitar player Dale had the. It was a really cool studio. Yeah, like for for us, Kyle, it was like you walked in and it's like a wall of fucking Marshall half stacks. Right. But like not just that, it was more like it it the whole back wall was a fucking amplifier. And I plugged in, he's like, Oh, you can just use that one over there. And you'd plug in and um I think I made the band because I just got my firebird. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> to them. Yeah, they, they you walked in with a Gibson firebird yeah. and they were like, Yeah. No, that it wasn't just the guitar. Oh, good. It sounded like they, they wanted to play um Three Doors Down Kryptonite. And the tone that came out of it naturally sounded like the tone of the recording. And they're like, he's in. He got the modern tone. And oh, I'm like, man. Eh, it's outdated at that point. But it, it, it felt good to me. I wasn't their first choice. Uh, I, I didn't know, like, when I went down there, th- th- it was a tryout. And I, I thought I was already in. So I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and I get down there, and this, this kid where just comes out. Where are the M&Ms? Out. Yeah, where's the M&Ms, bitch? And this kid, he pulls out, like, he had a custom guitar, custom paint job, very vulgar. Had, like, a girl. It was like a flying V, and the girl's legs were, like, the oh, V. Geez. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, kid. Only in Iowa. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Iowa. <laughs> Way to go, Iowa. Um, but he fucking shredded but he had to like throw on a signature double chug of like a heavy metal riff like chug 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 or that'd be like a triple i guess chug yeah. chug chug yeah yeah anyway uh i don't know i i don't think he really wanted it and i i just really wanted it and mm-hmm. and not that i nailed oh, it oh so guy with custom guitars the oh, other he, guy he killed me like, like, yeah, he was the other guy. And honestly, even before me, Pat was the other guy. Okay. And I think Pat was just like, I don't know. He had, he just didn't want to do it. Yeah. And, and I get that. I wouldn't want to be in a band with one of my parents or step parents either. Yeah. Uh, but so I kind of cut your teeth there for a while doing practice sessions. Yeah. With- a lot of practicing. So we start with our cover band. We're doing kind of random really crappy covers we had a lot of fun though we had a ton of fun I, then, I, our covers were my favorite songs to play right right and we I did enjoyed. some foo fighters we did some we did a lot of shit we like we did metallica's whiskey in the jar version right. sugar cults yep a lot of blank um the vines we did we oh, did some lenny kravitz lenny Kra- that was a fun one um Where yeah you running something like that you sang you sang that one yeah, I, I just like playing it. I love singing some Lenny. That but, was fun. But then you do the losing fight thing, yep. and you, when losing fight kind of fizzles out a little bit. Well, it's it's hard to be in a band with a guy halfway across the world. It's yes, it's hard to be in a band with a guy who lives down the road. Correct. Um, but then from there you continue to just like seek opportunities, and you find yourself in Iowa playing in this cover band, just doing cover songs. And yeah. And then from there is when, once you get finished with that opportunity, you kind of start diving into the project that's consumed how much of your adult life Too Arrows much. at Dawn. Too much. Like, yeah. what year did you start Arrows at Dawn? I believe it was 09. 
So 2009, roughly, yeah. you start Arrows at Dawn, and your last show was... Two and a half years ago. 2017, 2016? Right. Yeah, it'd be... This is 2020. It'd be three years in June. So 2017. So. Yeah. I mean, it was a long time. It's a long run. It didn't feel like it, honestly. So when you started Arrows at Dawn, was that when you dived into writing songs? I know you wrote, well, technically Losing Fight, you wrote a lot of songs. Yeah. Well, I wrote half of that. Not Maybe not half, but I think I had six or seven songs that Mm -hmm. ended up being seven it was seven because those seven ended up being seven out of the ten on the first Arrows record, mm-hmm. and uh, you repurposed them for. We tried. It was hard. I mean, you know, we've talked about this. Like, there is such a thing as over practicing sure. or over performing a song. And by the time we did the first Arrows record, that was air quotes that you won't see in the podcast. Right. Uh, we had already tracked, like, we'd tracked those songs with you first. Right. Well, or no, actually, second, third, and fourth. Mm-hmm. I think we did three different versions of, like, Something More with you. Yeah. And Battered Man. But I'd already done those with Mike. Uh-huh. And, and plus, you and me did it in your parents' basement acoustically. Yep. In Hostage. And you wrote Hostage with me. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, by then, those songs were, like, five, six years old. And then you kind of threw guys together and started arrows and you were you know you had the stack of material that you felt you could still use i suppose well it felt like a good foundation right to kind of show guys coming in like okay this is now the umbrella of what will be the band and this is our foundation so let's use that to catapult into what we will be so was so by design having that foundation was that kind of uh that a kind of a way to not fall back into covers quite as much and um, just kind of start. No, because I, I know you guys covered some stuff in Arrows for a while too. We did fill long sets. I mean, Southern yeah, we that was to make money to yeah. do the covers. But no, I just I I didn't have a problem playing covers, but I wanted to try and do the original thing, right? And, and it just kind of like we started writing, and I I realized how much I love writing. Yeah, and then. Like, but uh, like, you can't write enough worthy songs to play out four hours of a set like overnight, right? So I we I think the goal was to like do covers, like ninety percent covers, ten percent originals, make money, put a record out, and then hopefully start cutting back on covers and convert to an original band, which what in my mind where we were from southern minnesota a su- or a rural area that is the logical way to become an original band right uh and that's how i had seen other bands do it around for sure too so for it makes sure. sense and what i find interesting is that first losing fight record is the most diy you got Mike in Tallahassee. Yeah. You have you in Blooming Prairie. Yeah. And you're making a record together. Most DIY, like Sony Acid. Yeah. Guys are figuring it. it out together. Yeah. And then your next record with Arrows at Dawn. I know. You guys go full big swing. Yeah. And you go to Pachyderm and- in Cannon Falls where they recorded In Utero. And you guys decided when you finally you know, cut your teeth doing the covers, raising money to do an album. You went full tilt yeah, into the pachyderm. So what was it like going from 
kind of that DIY experience to suddenly being where in utero was being <laughs> recorded. You know, I never would have gone there had Pat not told me, maybe we should go there. And then we fucking kicked him out. And <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's for real. Right. Yeah. Pat left. I don't remember. It was like six months, maybe that we we booted him yeah your bass player pat yeah and then and then even shittier before like we had the studio time booked and we had a full band and then there were some issues with the new bass player that i was just like i i can't do it yeah he is not what it doesn't fit it doesn't fit it didn't fit i like we dude we're like uh i mean even to the end we're a garage rock band with a 90s grunge sound mm-hmm. and it didn't make sense to have a tom petty style guitar player yeah and i knew that and and i loved like i, I didn't love anything of how arrows started yeah but i was like i was having fun mm-hmm. but to do the songs the way they needed to be done and this is really shitty man because i don't I'm not like as much as I want to be Dave Grohl. Trust mm-hmm. me, I want to be fucking Dave Grohl. I got the tattoos to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But and God damn it, don't get me started on that barbecue T-shirt. Yeah, like, we're not gonna talk. I'm not about gonna the go there. But no backbeat barbecue here, baby. But give me my goddamn T-shirt. Damn it, Dave. Damn it, Dave. But anyhow. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, there there is an issue with half the band. So we boot the drummer and the bass player a month out from the studio time. Yeah. And if you're not in a band, you don't understand how fucking hard that is. Yeah. And thank God, man, like I've been a very lucky dude in all of my music endeavors. And it all comes back to you and Mike. Yeah. Like if I wouldn't have known you, I wouldn't have had a drummer to replace my drummer a month before. Actually, Nick didn't come down until like a week before the studio. Yeah. We had two practices to do 10 songs. Yep. And he didn't know shit from shit until we had to literally rip into every section of that record with mm-hmm. him. And he did fucking great on the, like on the fly. You couldn't ask for a better turnout. That kid. What I remember playing drums with him when we were at school of rock. Yeah. He just you could got play, it. You could play a song for him. He'd walk away and be like, Oh, you need me to play that? Sit him down. He'd play it. Just like nothing. Yeah, he just and, he just had it. And he played drums on that record. And then did. what did you guys do for bass? Did you do it? Or Andy, your Andy, producer, yeah, engineer our, did it. Our engineer and producer did it. It was mostly self-produced, but Andy had some really interesting ideas that we gave him producer credit on it. Yeah. And so originally I had a friend of my dad's was going to come play bass, but he's he's a lot older. So I was like nervous about not having a good like a good gel yeah and then like i knew the songs and i know how to play root notes because i'm a rhythm guitarist yeah, so right. you know we're not that important <laughs> so i was like okay i could i can like bass is easier you can plug in some half notes or walking areas i had a general idea of what i wanted so i was like if i need to i can and me and Andy were talking. I think he did eight out of the ten songs. I did one or two. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then Andy even played a little lead on there. Yeah. Uh, the some of the really interesting songs like No Show and Something More he dabbled on. 
maybe battered man, but otherwise it was mostly Phil. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a really fucking fun record to make. Now, in hindsight, I hate that record. Yeah. But I think it's because of I'd already done the songs so much by that point. It doesn't mean that they're good. It just means like I took songs I wrote when I was 18 at 22 or so and tried to do the best I could with them. All right. I didn't know shit about making a record though. And and I still I I probably still don't, but I know more now than I did then. All right. And and that's I like I wish I had known people that could have guided me a little better. Right. Right. It's it's just so interesting to me that the first when when Arrows at Dawn starts, the first really big swing is Pachyderm. Yeah. And right, wrong, or otherwise, or how you feel that album turned out. The uh well let's since you and I are both football guys, let's just alienate a good chunk of the crowd we have. Yeah, let's do that. Let's narrow cast. Let's narrow cast for a moment. Shoot. If Kirk Cousins doesn't work out, <laughs> if he doesn't work out, come on. Two years ago, when we went and got the best goddamn quarterback available and spent the money, I'm not going to regret it. Because no. we fucking swung for the fences. You went Frank Thomas on the bit. Yes. You we were for raking. The goddamn fences. We were raking. And yeah. you guys were raking. Like, we tried. I think, I think for a first effort, it sounds good and the songs were good. Um, but it's just really cool that you got to experience that studio yeah. and that environment. I have to say, like, the studio itself and the house were so fucking cool, man. Like, and we did it, uh, I don't, I think it was after Christmas, or maybe it was right before. Now, there's a lot of bad juju around that record. Like, the night we left, like, mm-hmm. I pulled Amanda's car out of the driveway and forgot to move it back, and it was, like, odd and even parking, so it got towed. She thought someone stole her car. Oh, gosh. Uh, so I woke up at, like, 3 to a phone call of her, like, crying, like, where the fuck is my car? And I'm yeah. like, oh, fuck. Oh, God. Sorry about that. And, you know, like, we were newlyweds, you know? Like, we didn't yeah. have money to just fucking toss around at that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we spent a lot of money on that record just to be at the, the crazy studio, air quotes again. Mm-hmm. But uh, I that's a memory. Like, the time of year that we did it, it was winter. There'd be days we were in that big live room in Studio A. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was mostly drum tracking and scratch tracks where it'd be snowing and you'd look outside and it's fucking beautiful outside and there's wild turkeys running around. And like for me being such a hardcore Dave Grohl fan, knowing that he cut fucking drums in that room gave me goosebumps yep. and I'm in there just doing scratch tracks thinking like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, what just, an experience. It was incredible. And dude, like, crazy like you walk in the room and like to the right there is like a guitar tech room a fucking guitar tech room and like dude we grew up in blooming like what's a guitar tech room right you know? right what's a guitar tech yeah uh right. what is a guitar right? <laughs> right, right right i mean like can i buy this at a pulled music yeah right. turns out you could you could doesn't mean it's I don't want to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was it was crazy. It was fucking crazy. And the house, like, they have an in-ground pool in there. Uh-huh. You have, like, oh, it was crazy. 
And we fucking lived it up. Like mm-hmm. me and Phil, there was no expense. Like we we would put every penny we had into it. And now my only regret is like, maybe we should have done that for the third record. Yeah. But you know, you live and learn. You live and you learn. Yeah. But it's it's very cool that you got that experience and yeah. and you got to hear those songs. You know, I think with my experience with songs I've written where it's like I wrote this one when I was 18 and then when I finally released it to a record when I was like you know 22 23 it was uh I had beat the song to death yeah to finally do it um yep. you're always going to do that though. and 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 they're never truly finished right but that the fact that for some of these songs you got to call them finished at pachyderm is really fun Basically, kind of the crux of that question is going from bedroom production to <laughs> pachyderm, where yeah. Dave Grohl cut in utero and, you know, Kurt Cobain was there recording that. Did you feel those songs change from... The album was called Out of Touch, right? Yeah. So the album was called Out of Touch, and a lot of those songs were from Losing Fight. And then they become Arrows at Dawn songs for the foundation. Yep. Did you feel that change in those songs? Or was um, that natural because you had Phil playing versus Mike or a lot different of, personalities? Like A lot of things are different. Okay. I mean, for me, I, you know, I, I learned like, you know, you'd think as a lineman in mm-hmm. football, I wouldn't yeah. need any like diva-ish things. Yeah. But I learned how big of a diva I was because sure. I hated the home recording. I hate doing it, yep. like setting it up, troubleshooting the software, and then getting a good take. Like I get so down about if I it, like, you know, little things that go wrong on the laptop. If things go wrong, it affected the take. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm a fucking one take wonder. You know, I didn't yeah. want to do 10 takes. and. Mike would be like, dude, come on, give me a better take. And yeah, like, fuck you, man. Take what I give you. And, yeah. and, and he was right. But, um, and I was fucking lazy. Yeah. But then we get to Pachyderm and there's a guy to do all that for you. And to make sure the computer's working. Yeah. And, like that was all taken care of in yep. like, I mean, in real time and you're there for it and that sucks. Cause that's hours of sitting around sometimes. Maybe not hours, but you know, it, it takes a while sometimes. Well, if you're setting up mics for drums and yeah. getting all the inputs and everything, so right, that can be very time consuming. It and then once you get the mic set up, how about placement? Yes, yes, this is sound the way we want it to. How Correct. about we move the, you know, the snare mic? Let's put offset that a little bit. Yeah, you know, there's that troubleshooting. There is, and we we had a lot of that. Honestly, we had more, I feel like we had more issues with guitars than we did with drums. Sure. Nick was on a very tight schedule. Schedule. Yeah. And we wanted to get that done ASAP. And that's the foundation for any recording is your drums. Mm -hmm. So we did the scratch tracks. Those went really quick. They're scratch tracks. As long as you play to a click, you're fine. Nick came in and did his drums. Uh, I think it took about three days total. And then uh, guitars took like four days. 
and now there's two guitar players, but we were really fucking picky. Mm-hmm. Although I don't feel like the recordings represent that, but right. that's a whole other story. Right. Um, Whereas when you're in your bedroom, <laughs> one take, emailing buddy? it off to to Tallahassee. Yeah. You like that mic? Yeah. I, I don't like it. Can you try it again? <laughs> I'd rather not. That's literally um, <laughs> what the conversation was. Um. So it kind of changed. I did. Did the idea of being at Pachyderm make it a little more real? Where you wanted yeah, to hell yeah. perfect it, dude. You walk in there and like I think we booked out like three weekends yeah. or something, and two were supposed to be recording, one was mixing, mm-hmm. and we ended up having to extend that because that shit takes time. And when you've never made a fucking real record, like you are not ready to do what you think you are there to do. And uh, especially with like the bass debacle, we had no idea. We had no fucking plan. Like we just thought we could wing it. Can't do that in a big studio. Like I mean, you can, and we did. Clocks ticking. Clocks ticking, and so is the meter. And the difference between like when Nirvana was there and when we were there, we were like one of the last bands to record there before it got sold again. Yeah. And the guy that owned it when we were there is like a real estate guy. They didn't know shit about recording. Yeah. And and I didn't know that. And the guy that we recorded with, like, he, we liked him. We had a lot of fun. I, especially as a person, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Andy a lot. And then I was talking about trying to work with him on live sound and stuff. Uh, me and Amanda went out to a few shows with him where he was doing sound for some different bands, mm-hmm. met his wife, and we were trying to, like, make him part of like we always had this like thing like we want to have an arrows family yeah everything tried to be real tight-knit we tried to make our own world and andy fell asleep driving home from a show got in a car accident and died right and that was in the middle of like mixing and mastering and all of a sudden we're up shit creek without a paddle right and we we tried to finish that without him it didn't turn out the way I think me or him intended it to, but how could it at right. that point? But um, it was it was a really weird situation, and yeah, the I mean the pressures of a professional studio are fucking real, even more so when you have a realty guy that doesn't know shit about music, sitting there pointing at his watch like huh, clock's ticking, where's my money? Mm-hmm. And then you have Andy that like fucking amazing dude man that that was when i realized i i was starting to come to terms with like i'm okay i'm not just dabbling in this i might be an artist i'm full out doing this yeah and i don't i still don't like to like call myself an artist because i feel like that's a pretentious thing to do but i i remember a thing clicking in my mind like i might be one right because Andy, I'm watching him work and and he had this magic to him. Like he just he was so good about keeping it light and mm-hmm. uh that's what I expected. I wanted a studio that would make me inspired. Yep. And that fucking did. Hi George. And <laughs> uh Andy was a big part of that and I I fucking miss that. I wish I there was a better ending to a story with me and him. But you know, that's a whole other thing. That, that's a good represent. That's a that's a good representation too, though. Like, 
in a lot of ways, I remember you talking about that while you were kind of doing it a little bit too, how much you enjoyed working with Andy. Mm -hmm. And then obviously when he passed, I remember how that kind of seemed like that was a kick in the balls. It was a gut punch, you know, like full on gut punch. I remember I, you know, and the, the fucked up thing was like, so basically after you're mixed, you have one, basically one step left mastering and then Mm -hmm. like packaging. And we, I think we just finished up like our third round of mixing Mm -hmm. and I just happened to be on Facebook on like a Friday night and saw like a bunch of headlines from mutual friends of ours like oh my god andy fucking died yeah and i was like what the fuck thought it was a bad facebook joke and it wasn't and i found out real quick and i had to call phil our guitar player and tell him like dude you need to come over we need to figure out what we're gonna do because the plan just fucking changed Mm -hmm. and uh that was really fucking hard yeah especially when I mean, how pivotal is it that you're working with the guy and you're suddenly having this realization like, hey, I might be a musician. This might be what I really like. If there's part of my life where I'm getting fulfilled, this might be it. It felt that way. And you're discovering that with this guy kind of, you know, yeah. driving the ship a little bit it, it felt when, that way when when that's your engineer and your producer yeah. who's making it so you can think about your music yes we, and he's driving the ship and then yeah. suddenly it's like okay where's captain yeah you know captain fell off the ship right and and like that that sounds like a poor joke and right, like right. it was but i'm trying to be i'm trying to make light of a terrible situation well right you can't there's there's no way to make perfect light of it but then from there you guys kind of you know you have someone master it and throw it together yeah and and you have your record and i think the songs from what i remember maybe they didn't quite turn out the way that you would have hoped they would or maybe i think maybe hindsight being 2020 that you know you've worked with wally yeah and he's made really great sounding records for you and hindsight being 2020 you know you've learned a lot yeah with wally with yourself yeah um so whether however you feel about how those record that record is represented, yep. I think it's a great first effort and it was a good experience that like you know, I just I don't I don't think you should ever ever let that experience be overshadowed by maybe it didn't turn out quite the way you wanted. You're so to. fucking right and I'm so mad that you're like it seems so easy for me to think of that now mm-hmm. and, and to hear you say it and a million other people tell me that. I don't think of myself as a perfectionist, but I definitely, when I talk about what I wanted to do, I, I think in terms of a perfectionist sometimes. Yep. And it's hard to undo that. Like That literally is how I spent all of my time is like in my mind bitching about what didn't go right. And I think I think sometimes as a as a writer as a you know someone who puts together songs and who is creating something where we hear it in our head mm-hmm. and then we have to find the devices to make it real it it never feels right and when you finally find a place where it's better where you like we said earlier a song is never truly finished true 
So when you finally decide to call them done and you move on to new ones and you call them done and they feel closer to what you wanted, yep. it's easier to look back and be like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What was I thinking? Yeah. Well, you know, and, and your headspace at that time compared to years later, very different. How did, how did writing kind of drive the songs that you put together? Because you've become kind of a a junkie when it comes to sitting down with an acoustic guitar. And that's another thing I find interesting about your writing. And it's not, I wouldn't say this is a unique quality because everybody writes differently, but you write alternative rock music that has many guitar layers when the final production is done, Mm -hmm. but it all begins on an Alvarez acoustic guitar Yeah, at its very core. Yeah. Every song was written on that guitar. Yeah, it's just a regular Alvarez acoustic. Mm-hmm. Anyone can start with it. Yeah. And if you go and listen to an Arrows at Dawn record, you bet your goddamn ass <laughs> that it started on that acoustic. <laughs> yeah. So when you're writing on the acoustic and it's just chords and maybe a riff in a, a melody or it turns into lyrics, do you hear in your head the other parts that are mm-hmm. there at the end? It depends on what song. Because it's a song by song basis. It can be. I mean, like, you know, the first record, definitely I heard every part. I knew exactly how I wanted every song to go. It didn't turn out that way. Um, Second record, we essentially again recorded twice because Phil left halfway. Like, we were recorded, we're into mixing, and Phil left. Mm-hmm. And then the drummer left, and we had first to re- record being out of touch. What was second record? Second record was no place to hide. No place to hide. And we had met Wally uh, Nemec, mm-hmm. who is the singer of Skywind and Crash Anthem. And uh, I met him because my dad married a woman that her nephew was in Gabriel and the Apocalypse. His name is Jake Lacour, and. I just happened to be at a family Christmas where he was there and he's like, I know you love drums on records. You have to hear our new record. And he showed it to me and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. These are fucking huge. Yeah. And to me, you know that I fucking love that. Well, yeah, I think you and I both kind of wanted to play drums before we played. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We're not gifted. Yeah, we're not. Not in that sense. Damn it, Whelan, you fucking lurk. Fuck off, Whelan. Fucking Whelan. Um, (laughs) yeah. But yeah, he showed me that and gave me Wally's number and I went and met him and I met a few other people. We were like touring what would be the studio for album two. And you know what the funny thing is to me is like we wrote a second record at Pachyderm while we were waiting for like the first record to get on the external hard drive. And then we never, we shelved it, all of it. Really? Yeah. Like I uh, didn't know that actually. Oh, really? Uh, no. Okay. So we had the, probably about an album, album, an album and a half of material like that we thought would be record two. We started to demo it and then just kind of felt like the songs weren't very strong. Yeah. Uh, and they were definitely better than the first record, but we wanted it to be a lot fucking better, not in the same vein. You felt maybe like you were capable of more than what yeah, you had. Yeah. With and that I, second crop. Yeah. And things were moving really quick at that time. Like we started really paying attention to every part of every song intro, yep. verse, chorus, turnaround, verse two, verse, or a chorus two, the bridge, solo sections, um, outros, like things 
we're really starting, we were getting very detail-minded. And so when Wally came down, he did pre-pro at my house in Owatonna. And uh, he actually said, like, we didn't change much from demo to final cut. Mm -hmm. We changed a little. And that was definitely thanks to Wally. He's a fucking wizard. Right. We call him Wally the wizard for a reason. Um, but we didn't change much. And I was really fucking proud of that. Right. Um, and we were really lucky when things went the way they went with Phil and with Tyler at that time, our guitar player and drummer. drummer. Uh, we were lucky that Wally knew people to come in and like who could help us. Right. And we, they, was that after they left? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we're in, fill in. We were in the mixing stages and we ended up having to pull Phil's guitar and Tyler's drums and we put Derek Abrams on drums. And that, like, holy shit, did that make the record. And then Matt Wahlberg uh, came in, which he was in Crash Anthem with Wally and Skywind, and fucking made that record. Like, that record wouldn't have happened. Arrows would have been dead. At that point. At that point. Uh, and, like, it, it, we got really fucking lucky. And perfect. It was amazing. It saved our ass. Um. But basically, through Wally, when you're doing uh, record number two, no place to hide. No place to hide. Yep. You meet Matt Wahlberg, who eventually becomes guitar player. Du I guess Dujour, um, probably the fourth or fifth guitar player you worked with between Median, yeah. Losing Fight, Arrows. Yeah, yeah, he's. But Matt, kind of, from what I understand. He assumes very quickly kind of a co-write. Yeah. Where you guys are collaborating hardcore. What was the change of going from and I'm not saying it necessarily changed, but from going to consistently writing a song on your Alvarez acoustic by yourself. Yep. And then showing it to the group and formulating it all together to finding yourself in Stillwater with Matt Wahlberg at his apartment. Yeah, writing songs together over God, drinks you throughout the day. Listen to me so closely. Uh huh. This is terrifying. Yeah. What's the difference between him and Phil? Basically, not between him and Phil, but or, maybe the process of. It, I your, mean, they're, they're all different, right? I right. Mean, like with Mike, <clears throat> me and Mike are childhood best friends. Mm -hmm. It's easy to write your shit, and then he adds his, mm -hmm. and vice versa. I, you know, and. Uh, with Phil, uh, me and Phil, it, it was just like we'd sit down and we'd work out parts together. And it felt, to me, on my end, it felt really natural and really easy with Matt. And not that it wasn't easy with Matt. Matt is an amazing guitarist. Right. And was like instilled to this day. Like we talk, we don't talk as much now as we used to, but I think things just like when you're in a band with someone, there's a lot of, at least for me, really raw, emotional things. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very emotional, responsive person. Yep. I take things really extreme. Yep. And, and I think, it, like, with all due respect, I think Matt does too. And that's not a bad thing. Like, it's not a bad thing, but part of, there's less give and take when both people are. Hard on their sleeve. That, well, exactly. When you have two people who are highly creative, 
who believe in what they believe with yeah. for the process and the song. Yeah. So you're both approaching the song from a mindset of we want the end product to be great. Yeah. But your idea for what makes that great isn't always necessarily the same. Yeah. And that's and just the nature of writing with correct, people. Correct. Correct. And they're like, I'm not saying that is a bad thing at all. I remember. It's never a bad thing. It's no. just two ideas. Yeah. And the thing that was so crazy different with Matt was like, he was used to being the only guitar player in the group. Where okay. like, cause like Wally didn't play a lot of guitar in Crash Anthem. He's a singer frontman, and he'll play some chords and stuff, but mostly he's singing. Yep. And the way I've always looked at it, because maybe because of my offensive lineman, defensive lineman standpoint, and then joining your group and being a rhythm guitar player, I like. I look at music as the music comes first, lyrics and melody, vocal melody comes secondary. And that changed a lot between the first record and the third record. We only had three records. And yeah, we wrote, like, I wrote a lot. I have a lot of backlog song ideas, a lot, like hundreds, if not thousands of songs, Mm -hmm. or at least trinkets of parts. Ideas. Yeah. Multiple cell phones are filled up, like to the brim of ideas and Sony Acid files on my external hard drive, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter. Right. And I went up to Stillwater a number of times, or Matt Dondo Watana, to write. And just like <clears throat> the way I've always thought of myself as a writer is I'm better if you come in and you give me an idea, I can make a song out of it. Right. I'm more of like a composer or a ranger type and matt and phil were more like the raw idea they can give you that spark to light the fire yeah and uh i i dude i've been so lucky i have worked with some amazing people that they can make something out of nothing and sometimes for me, like what I notice is if I try to do that, a lot of my stuff starts to sound the same. Mm-hmm. And I think the first Arrows record and the Losing Fight record really show that. Uh, and that's, uh, it is what it is. I, I don't know a lot of like theory. I don't know. I never took guitar lessons or anything. Right. So I don't it's know. purely by ear. It is purely by ear. And, and, and experience with getting to know what you yeah. know about the guitar I mean, yeah obviously you've played this progression you've heard it here you've heard it there yes and your ear is taking you everywhere you've gone it has and and that's your ear is your uber driver yes my ear is my uber driver right and so like no, t- no talking please on this trip <laughs> yes I, daddy needs to hear <laughs> <laughs> but uh i remember one of my first times in stillwater me and matt like we got a bottle of tequila and start we did a shot we started writing, did another shot, kept writing. And we, like, I'm not going to try and make this a drunk glory story, but it is kind of a drunk glory story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my legend of Matt and me. Like, we, we drank the whole bottle and we're like, fuck, we're fucked up. What time is it? 3 a.m.? And it's like 7 at night. Must be lonely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we're like, it's 3 a.m. Must be lonely. You yep. went there, not yep. me. Sorry. Let the record reflect Shout out Rob that. Thomas. Um, yeah. Shut up, Kyle Thomas. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Like, we got really drunk, and not that that made the writing better, because it didn't. Mm-hmm. And it definitely didn't make the playing better on either of our parts. But uh, 
it, it's, you know, it's hard, man. Like I try to tell people this, that talk to me about like, like Pat will tell me, he's like, you're so social and I'm really not right. But from years of being in the band or various jobs that I've held where you have to talk to people, you have to, in a band, there's like in my band, there's four guys and you have to become quick friends. If you're not, if you haven't been in the band for years with us. Mm-hmm. So we became very quick friends. And so question about that. So when you're yeah. in that scenario, yeah. and I think I think I have my ideas about this from bands I've been in, but yeah. do you find that because it's it's kind of weird because even you and I to a sense when we started playing, it was more of a reactionary thing to be friends because well, we both want to play music. You play guitar, I play guitar. So with the four people you're with, you find them and you find that common strain of we want to play music. Yeah. And the friends thing is secondary that you're trying to seek out. I suppose. You're try- it's not secondary in the sense that it's less important. Right. But it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you and I both play music. I kind of dig what you're doing. You dig what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, let's figure the rest out. Yes. I mean, you. Base, it's reactionary. Yeah, it is. The reactionary. friendship is reactionary. Yes, like, whereas you, the playing is the instinct. Yeah, you don't really think about the playing. I remember, like, so we got really lucky, man, because as you know, in southern Minnesota, finding the quality of musicians that you want to find can be hard to impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that there's not good musicians down there, because there is. Right. I know a lot of pockets of really talented people. But for what I wanted to do, there's not very many of them. And Matt, like, we found Matt through Wally. But Matt also actually, before Wally ever mentioned it, found us on Craigslist looking for a guitar player. And my old buddy Mike happened to cover Dead in the Water on a YouTube video just for funsies. Yeah. And Matt saw that and was like, these guys, like have a guy that learned a brand new song i want in on this like or like something like that it felt like that and i don't know but that that's the way i kind of remember it maybe i'm wrong uh i hope he doesn't hear this and be like god damn it tim you lying son of a bitch right right but for all (laughs) intents and purposes yeah if, if i remember right it was something like that and then matt actually redid the video and the difference was not that Mike couldn't have figured it out by ear, but like I told him what the parts were and he played them mm-hmm. and like did his own little thing on it. Matt fucking did it by himself. Nobody told him how to do it. And he sent me the video and he's like, what do you think of this? And I was like, whoa, this wow. dude can fucking shred. Yeah. And, and not that Mike can't, but Mike wasn't going to move to Minnesota and fucking play in Arrows. Yeah, because he's still in... At that time, Tallahassee. Yeah, it, uh, if not, he, Michigan. Mi- he might have been in Michigan by then. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, Mike wasn't coming to Minnesota, not to my neighborhood. And uh, so then I called Matt, and I remember the talk went really fucking well, on, at least on my end. And then like the next weekend or two, he came down. And crazy, like we end up jamming, me, him, and Pat. And then we end up at Phil's house drinking and 
like hanging out with Phil. Interesting. Yeah, it was a crazy thing. But Phil being previous guitar player. Yeah, and founder of Arrows, because Arrows was very like different from everything else I had done. That was the serious, again, air quotes. The- that was that was when you were raking and you were swinging. We were fence. swinging That's hard. That's when you yeah. really, really. That was the power that. swing. We hit square on that one. Yeah, you yeah. went square. We went square. Narrow casting. Narrow casting. MLB the show. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that was that was the big swing. And and Matt fucking, you know, what was crazy is Matt came down. He he learned that he learned you'll never win off that record. And then I was so fucking sold. I was ready to go. I was like, I wanted to call Wally that night and be like, dude, get this guy in the studio. And funny, a couple of weeks later, that's exactly what we did. And he went and hammered those parts out. He'd known Wally forever at that point, and he did it right away. And we were good to go. Record came out, had a fun fucking CD release show. Mm-hmm. And then where was that CD release show? Four hundred bar? No, the oh, first one line. was the four hundred bar. Four hundred bar was okay. Yeah, that was fun too. That was a quadruple CD release show. That was that was a fun show. Yeah, ninety three X came out to that. Nice. And Pablo introduced everyone, and except for us. Yeah. But fun. Uh, Great. <laughs> fuck you, Pablo. Thanks. Thanks I'm lot, kidding, Pablo. Thanks a lot, Pablo. <laughs> but anyhow, so you guys did the release at the fine line. Yeah. And, well, I, w- I want to get back to, like, Matt, that weekend he came down. We're playing all these songs for the record. Again, air quotes. Like, we're getting ready to put that record out. Was this out. pre-production then? Like, you uh, guys are practicing no, no, for no, the like recording? Or you're actually we were, tracking? The, the record was done, and we had to pull Phil and uh, Tyler off to put Matt and Derek on. Okay. Derek Abrams was one of Wally's drummers that came in and did a session drum session for us. Mm-hmm. And But when Matt came down to Watana and, like, did all this with us... He he's like, hey, what do you think of this riff? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my god, it was fucking electric. To this day, when I hear the lick that he played, I get fucking goosebumps. And it became, we call it low. Low is short time for lifetime of war, which mm-hmm. came off of our third record uh, called Pieces, and that was our final record. And uh, dude, I'm telling you, it. The way he plays it, I don't know how he plays it. And that was the difference between old arrows and what arrows became. I always knew every part of music up until that point. But Matt played guitar in a way that I could not dissect. I still can't do it. Right. And it, did that change the way you wrote Hell yeah. around him? Hell yeah, it did. Matt could come in with a part, and, and not that Phil couldn't, because whether Phil could play to the same caliber technicality wise or not, he was extremely creative. Right. Um, he just had a thing about him. Like Phil is his own guitar player, man. And and I loved what he did too. Everyone that I've worked with has been so much more talented than me from my point of view. I was super lucky. And I, and I, I remember saying that a lot at our final shows, like, and we didn't know they were our final shows. I think if I'd have known that it would have meant a lot more. Right. But I remember thinking like, and saying like, I'm the luckiest fucking guy in the world. I have the best band backing me. Mm -hmm. And I genuinely meant that. Right. Cause eventually what happened was like, 
Derek did the drums for album number two, but he never played with us live. So we got Adam Sapaniak from a band called Eden. And then that was kind of a short-lived thing. I don't think we were really what he wanted to do. And then again, Wally came in to save the day and hooked us up with Mark Pooter that fuck man, Mark came in and he was everything I'd looked for from day one. Right. And then we went into the studio for record number three and it was really scatterbrained uh, ideas. Like the songs were really off. Like nothing was like in a chronological order. Mm-hmm. It just kind of was. And we didn't know how to put that in a collection of songs that made sense in a record point of view. Right. But that's almost what made it perfect because I'm not a guy that likes to sit down and write like an American Idiot kind of album. I mm-hmm. can't do that. I like really raw off the wall i like the the b-sides basically sure you know well the other thing about that record is i think the interesting thing about that record is you have songs like you you have high which is completely different from anything you've ever done and the songs track to track to track to track are far more individual yes as a whole complete piece for pieces Every song on that album is very individual in the fact that standing by itself, it feels like something unique, Yeah, but it all fits together cohesively, That's which how- I think is kind of the tricky thing for bands to do sometimes, because yeah. you can walk into a studio with a vibe, and this is your sound, and then you can create 10 songs, and four of them are really unique. Yep. And the rest of them all sound kind of the same with some different words and maybe in sure. a different key. Yes. And that's something that I think, I, I feel like you've always been pretty conscious of trying to make songs that sound by themselves like different from others rather than, you know what, we do this chord progression and we're going to do a little bit different lead. I sure. don't think anyone consciously tries to do no, that. No, but it, it is a natural, it's hard not to do that, right. I think. Right, and and the bands that do do that and still make those songs sound unique, wow, it's yeah, amazing. It is, absolutely. But to me, the, the pieces record and you know all of the records that you guys put out, they continually showed some growth to doing that at a new height and pieces really shows you know kind of all of those songs as individual tracks that stand together really well thank you yeah so we you know at, at least from my point of view we tried really hard man and for a guy that grew up with you in a town of like 1500 people i never thought that this is where in life i would end up mm-hmm. and and uh you know i remember a time early on in arrows and probably in median too we made jokes about like oh someday we're gonna play xl or or we're gonna play first av i've now played first av i never played xl but um, you know you got to set the big goal that you might never obtain or uh, check off and you got to set the somewhat smaller goal but is obtainable and first Ave, we didn't play the main room we played seventh street entry but to me that was a huge victory yeah and we played a really fun show there and it felt like a really tight set that was the first time wally came and saw us live and we were playing the new record for him and um it, it was really cool that was a really fun show and um 
I don't know. I, you know, it's so weird. Cause I feel like I talk about everything in past tense. Like it's all dead because I've kind of put arrows to bed and that's on me. The oh. guys, nobody, Matt, Mark, and Pat, nobody flat out called or texted and said, Hey, I'm out. Right. It, it just, just kind of stopped happened. organically a little bit. There's a lot of things that happened or mm-hmm. didn't happen. And being the guy that gives kind of the voice to the songs, I was at my wits end. Yeah. I was going fucking insane. I mean, I literally, I've talked about this with you a million times. Right. And and with anybody that really knows me, I was going through a lot of shit Mm -hmm. and it felt really heavy and anxiety was really like overwhelming me. And I like, I remember it was like a week before our last show that we didn't know was going to be our last show. And I went to a doctor and got some meds for it. And man, I still, I think if I could have waited, like if I would have done that like a month earlier, maybe arrows would still be a thing. It's just the way the cookie crumbled, man. Yeah. And and I think the thing to remember too is the the wonderful thing about music is whether you do it with Matt and Mark and Pat or whoever else is it's not going anywhere as long as you still feel like you want to do it correct if you and and you have a good scenario where you have you know the wife the three kids and i think you really enjoy that aspect of being able to know that you can focus all your energy on to that. Yeah. Which is which is something, you know, as much fun as music is, as much as it's a passion, there's a whole nother universe in finding yourself in your family um, that I think you have found in a way. But the thing to remember is those 12 chords never die. Yeah. They always exist. Yep. And, uh, you know, it, you're not done until you decide you're done. And yeah, and that I, I think that is why it was so easy kind of clearing my head out with all that stuff and knowing like, hey, that's guitars on the wall, man. You want to play? Pick it up and play. Yep. And I've got a hell of an audience at home. I yeah. mean, I, I literally can pick up that guitar and play fucking anything. And there's always at least one or two of the kids that'll be like, fuck yeah, my dad's a rock star. Mm-hmm. and like i used to hate that term but now i look at them and they like they seriously they look up to me like i am somebody and it feels fucking amazing all right and it's what is it like you playing on your little alvarez acoustic like kokomo to your kids yeah, or man. something I and did they're that just with harper yeah all over it like yep. harper was all over that and like she loved kokomo that one person audience is probably bigger than any audience you've ever had, oh regardless God. of bodies in a yes. crowd. I remember there's a show we did with Wally at the, I think it was the Dog House in Maplewood. Ah. And that was like one of our like most people at a show ever, probably since our first CD release show. I think I went to that. You might have been there, yeah. yeah. And we were like debuting a lot of our new songs off pieces. And it was my first time with in ears, and I was I was so fucking jacked. Yeah, there's a video out there somewhere mm-hmm. of the first song or whatever, but um, it it felt so good, 
and I felt like that was such a high pressure thing because mm-hmm. I didn't want to let Wally down. I didn't want to let the people in the crowd down. And then I had a kid. I think I had a kid by then, but then you go to play Kokomo and she's like, daddy, you didn't sing it right. And it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> That's so <laughs> much worse. The level, it, the cr- it's more crushing than. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and to be honest, like Harper's never done that. None of my girls have. But if I did, they would let me know. You know, they'd yep. be like, you didn't play that right, daddy. <laughs> yep. They yep. don't take no but shit, man. The pressure will never die. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, For that's sure. that's rad. Um, yeah. Well, with that said, I think this is the part where generally that's a pretty good overview of pretty much everything. You got the whole story, dog. Yeah. So I guess the the two questions I have to ask you, this is a big one, and this is the one that is tough for people to answer sometimes because we all listen to podcasts. But uh, what have you been listening to lately? What would you say people need to check out? Podcast-wise? <laughs> no. Oh, music? Don't listen to any other podcast than this one. Yeah, no, I'm I kidding. I only listen to this podcast. <laughs> There's no other podcast. Okay, music Subscribe. <laughs> We're talking music now. Yes, music. It's okay. always music. <clears throat> that makes sense. This is a music podcast. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Um. I really wanted to have some badass answer for this. But what's the real answer? The real answer? <laughs> There's a few. I mean, I like honestly I put uh I'll open up music player du jour on my phone mm-hmm. and throw it on shuffle and it's just a lot of the same old shit, you know, a lot of obviously heavy foo fighters, Queens of the Stone Age, Biffy Clyro. Um, but the things that I found myself really like, I'll skip a lot of those because I've heard them a million times and right. everyone that I know that knows me mm-hmm. knows I've heard those a million times. Yep. You hate the Foo Fighters now because of me. Same with my brother. I wouldn't say I hate them. You've, you've grown very weary of them. I'm, I'm fatigued. Fatigued is a great word. You're almost, dare I say you're on hiatus from them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes. This hiatus has been longer than any Foo Fighter hiatus. That's true. But no, I I really I enjoy the Foo Fighters and I listen to them more than you would ever know and, and I will ever admit to you. Hello, George. Hi, George. He's protecting the perimeter. Save us. Um. Yeah, but I I don't I don't listen to a lot of that. But there's been like. You know, it's funny. You're you're talking about a concert you're going to thrice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I, seeing thrice this week. A literally. lot of a lot of the stuff that I listen to is stuff that Matt suggested I listen to years ago. Now, mm-hmm. and I listened to it then, and I was inspired by it then in the moment. But the way I listen to it now is very different from then. So, like a lot of thrice, Black Map, um, a lot of local stuff, man. Listening to this, I've listened to a lot of Nick Costa. Yep. Uh, shout out to him. Fantastic fucking songwriter. Yeah. Um. He. Yeah. His his music speaks for itself. I'd say. Yeah. yeah um, it it really does. Uh, I gotta say, throwing shade. That's what we in the the songwriting crowd would call a perfect fucking song. <laughs> Fuck like, you, Nick. <laughs> you selfish son of a bitch. He'll appreciate He's, that. I I hope he knows I'm kidding. I've never met him. I've never talked to him. But I hope he understands. Fuck you, that's a perfect song. <laughs> and I know he and gets I, it. <laughs> I hope he writes a million other of 
perfect songs like that. But also Tane, the Fabulist, again, yeah, with Charlie Siren, Charlie Siren, you son of a bitch. But he, know, I've met Tane though, and he showed me his milkers when he was working at. Uh, <laughs> uh, whoa, 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 whoa! No, whoa. he did. Did he? No, no. But I asked him, and yeah, he, he yeah. laughed, and then was weirded out, like. Yeah, How do you know about my milkers. So, so me and my buddy Tane, <laughs> Tane, Tane, and I were in a band together. Everybody who listens to this podcast will hear his interview before this one. So, hopefully, you heard that before. But Tane has a joke where he'll be like, "Oh wow, that dude's got some nice milkers," or he'll refer to Bosom yes. as milkers. And did you say Bosom? I did. It's Bosom. I said Bosom on I purpose, heard you, though. But you're wrong. I know it's wrong. It's okay. more funny if it's wrong. It's definitely more funny it when it's like a narrow casting moment. But this is it's your a podcast. narrow. Don't let me impede this, on you. You see, this is a deadpan joke. Okay. Where everybody thinks I'm wrong. Can I just laugh at you to give in to you? Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. But people passing by will be like, "What an idiot!" It's bosom, <laughs> and and they'll be like, "Did that guy just say bosom?" That is such, what an idiot. That is such a Kyle joke. I and love it. and and people people ultimately will laugh, thinking I'm dumb. But um, anyhow, Tane will call him milkers. And before he was doing sound at the Triple Rock for Arrows at Dawn at one of their shows, and I texted Tim and I was like, "Hey." Walk up to Tane and tell him that you like his milkers. I did. And he's like, what did you fucking say? And I was he like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I told him later and he was just like, oh, that totally makes sense that yeah. you would tell him to he, say that. He got it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a moment make where. make the connection that you and I were friends on. He already. definitely didn't. There's a minute where me and him were both treading some awkward ass water. <laughs> it, all, a- it all worked out. What a good story. Yeah. Tane, um, Tane's cool shit, though. Tane's, I love that dude. Tane's the shit. Um, so, Arrows at Dawn catalog. Yeah. If you had... Oh, God, this is going to be tricky for you, God I'm sure. Damn it. If you had to pick a song to represent... You didn't ask this to Nick. I did. Yeah, you did. He said Throwing Shade. What did uh, Tane say? Tane said... The fabulous? No. Really? It was uh Oh no, it was it was off the new stuff. It was the tight wire song. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, and I checked that out. Banger. Yeah, I'm terrible with song titles, <laughs> but it's like their single off of their most recent record. Yes. Which Okay, your quarter notes don't help at all. I know. Um I know. But, but anyhow. Oh fuck. I know the answer a lot, like that John Kuchenbecker would want me to give. Hi, hi. I don't think that represents our catalog well, but it's the most unique song of the whole catalog. It is like if if I'm gonna listen, like I don't listen to a lot of Arrows stuff because I lived it. But and you're not an eagle maniacal, yeah. crazy person. You're not Steve I Jobs. Be. I could be. No, I couldn't. You're not Steve Jobs, like, crying over his baby girl using a MacBook. No, no, I don't know, man. That's a tough question. But here's what I'll say. There's, especially off of pieces, there's songs that mean more than other songs. Mm -hmm. And, like, high might be unique, but it's not about what you think it is. 
All right. So there's really no meaning behind that song. Mm -hmm. So if you want something with a deep meaning, I'm going to say go with Who You Are Mm -hmm. or Dead in the Water off the second record. Okay. Those are my two that I say like those mean the most. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll split the difference on that with the outro. (laughs) This has been fun. I've had a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun. We talked uh, all the records, some fun stories, a lot of stuff that won't make the cut. This um, is bullshit. It all should make. I'm just <laughs> no, 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 no. All this leave it all to on the cutting the cut. room floor. Yeah, but uh, this has been a fun conversation. Um, we've had many accours, which I feel like a conversation between you and I should be very coors based. Yes, and it's the best seasonal beer. beer. The best seasonal beer. For there sure. should be beers consumed. Anyhow, thanks for stopping by this Found our way around.